You're listening to the Living Truth Church podcast, and we're so glad that you're here. If you would like to know more about our church, you can find us at livingtruthchurch.com, on Facebook at Living Truth Church, or on Instagram at LTC underscore Pace. We pray that God uses this teaching to impact your life. Oh, thank you, Kenna. Um, I kind of prefer the under-promise, over-deliver method, but uh, I guess we'll do my best. Um, I'm certainly glad to have the opportunity to, to share God's Word. Um, we're going to be uh, speaking straight from our reading as we've been doing this whole, we- uh, whole year. So if you are reading the Word in the Word with us, uh, you certainly got a lot of good information this last week. If you're, if you're not reading, then I would encourage you to start doing so. That is the beginning of a relationship with Christ. Uh, that's how we get to know our Father and where it all begins. Um, now, if you don't know me, I am Clint Fowler, and I am not the pastor of this church. So try to avoid any long-term decisions based on your experience here today. Uh, Norm will be back next week, and that may be a better basis to uh, make decisions from. But uh, I just want to start out in prayer. Uh, I'm certainly going to need all the help I can get. So if you will bow your heads, uh, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to just be obedient. Um, Lord, this is not a gift you have given me. Uh, this is truly just a way for you to show how you can work through someone else if we're willing. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of the people here today, that they would open and listen to what you have to say through your scripture. I pray that you would inspire and instill change, a desire to grow their relationship with you. And Lord, I pray mostly that if there's any part of me in this message that you would remove it and just fill it with you, that it's your words here today and I'm just the vessel that you're using. In your name I pray, amen. So we're going to start out in Galatians 3. I'm going to basically go through Galatians 3 through Galatians 5 and then we'll, we'll jump around a bit. But uh, we're going to skip some here and there. Uh, But it starts out and we're talking, uh, you know, Paul is talking to the Galatians. And we've just kind of exited the part where uh, God made a covenant. um, It's explaining the difference between following the law and relying on God's grace. And uh, Paul's talking to the Galatians um, and saying in chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So Paul's telling the Galatians, congratulations, you've reached a point in your faith where you are relying on Christ's grace and you're trusting in Christ to lead your life. You're no longer relying on works. You're no longer relying on following the old law. You've placed your faith where it should be in the grace of Jesus And God's love alone. So following up in verse 28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, it took me a minute to realize why these two verses were following up the first ones. I didn't really make the connection as to the importance of them, but uh, basically what it's saying is, is Paul's saying, listen, you're not special. 
I mean, we're all special to God, but no one party is greater or, or more special than, a, than another. So if you profess to be a believer in Christ, then you are part of the body of Christ, and we're all in one in Christ. And I can't help but relay these verses to the year 2020. It has been one for the books, for sure. We have started out arguing about face masks, whether we are going to wear them or not going to wear them. We've moved from face masks into race relations, whether we agree, disagree, understand, not understand. And now we're working on the Republican versus Democrat train. But it's been a year of arguing, and I'm not sure how much love has been shown through some of our responses to a brother in Christ that may be hurting. I just want us to consider, before we respond to a hurting part of the body of Christ, are we reflecting who we profess to serve as our Lord and Savior? Love does not require agreement or understanding to be effective. So before you respond, please consider love first. So moving on into chapter 4, 3 through 7, it says, So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So God knew that there's no way we would be able to gain salvation through works. There's no way that we could follow the law so perfectly that we would be able to become a son of God. So he sent his son because of his love for us to die on the cross to pay a debt that we're not capable of repaying. And as a believer in Christ, we have become adopted into the kingdom of God. We have become a son of God and an heir to everything he has. I want to take a minute and talk about that because I don't think I've done justice to what it means to be a child of God. I've heard that I'm a son of God, I'm a child of God since I was a little kid, but I also knew God had like millions of other kids, and I didn't really relate like how much love could there possibly be to go around when you're talking about millions of children. To me, that didn't register as being as, as valid and important as it is, but I think to understand how God loves or how much God love has for us, we've got to understand how God loves. And I think the best example I can use for that would be the love between a parent and their child. I think we have a lot of parents in here. Um, if you're a child, you're not a parent. Well, if you're a young child, you're not a parent yet. But I think you can understand that there's something special about the way your parents love you. Um, things may not always be perfect. You may get yelled at sometimes, and that's just God telling us to do that. So, um, sorry. sorry. Uh, no. Anyway, can we delete that on the recording? Um, but no, 
your parents love you like nothing else. I know when my children were born, there was instantly um, a, a depth of love that I had not recognized in my life before. I mean, that's something that I had a hand in creating, and man, it's special. God tells us that He loves us infinitely more than we could ever comprehend. Well, we can comprehend the love that we have for our children. So do you understand how big God's love must be for us? No, you don't. I just told you you can't understand it, so stop trying to figure it out. But we can understand that it's beyond our understanding and that it's greater than our love for our children. And to think that God would ever desire works to repay the debt that he paid for our salvation is crazy. He loves us too much to place that kind of burden on our shoulders. He knows we can never accomplish that. God just desires a relationship with us. He doesn't want our works Works may get done, but it's not going to be out of an effort to gain salvation. It's going to be out of love for the Father that loves us. So moving on, we're going to go into Galatians 4. Twelve. I plead with you, brothers. No, I'm sorry. I don't think we've done eight and nine yet. So, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So, again, we're talking about, it's not about works. We talked in chapter 3, hey, Congratulations, Galatians, you've recognized what it means to be a follower of Christ. You've recognized God's grace in your life, and you're responding correctly. And now you've turned back to the old ways, worshiping false gods, idols in your lives. What in the world is going on? I thought you knew this couldn't be done by works. We have idols in our lives today. I wish they would have died out in biblical times, that, they, that it wasn't something that we had to deal with, but, but we may have more today than they did then. And I'm going to talk about a few of them. Some of them are going to be common, and some of them kind of took me by surprise, or, or it was ones that I didn't think about too much. But the first one is our very own identity. We profess to, to love God and want to serve Him, and desire His will for our life, but we're so consumed with our own lives that we don't have time to build a relationship with God. And that's kind of mind-boggling to me. We profess to know that He is a supernatural God that loves us more than anything we can ever fathom, but we still think we're the best ones to make decisions for our lives. Seems a little mixed up, doesn't it? So if you are so consumed with you that you don't have time to spend time with God, then you are the idol that you're worshiping. The next thing is kind of obvious, and it's money. The Bible says that uh, the rich are going to have a hard time getting into the gates of heaven. And we know some people that are well off, that are absolutely wonderful human beings and followers of Christ. So next time you see them, just tell them congratulations because they're pulling it off. But the Bible says it's a difficult thing to make happen. And I know that we have things in life that we have people that we need to take care of, food that we need to put on the table. 
colleges to pay for, retirement to pay for. We want to be comfortable. But that's not what's important. God says he'll provide for us if we place our trust and our faith in him. He doesn't say become a bum and live off everybody else. But it can't be an idol in our lives. If our identity is in our job, then our job is an idol. If money is what we care about more than anything else, then money is an idol. The next thing is entertainment. I think we live in a world today where entertainment's got to be at a high. I mean, I, I see very few people just sit in a chair and do nothing. <laughs> Break that phone out, watch some videos, look something up. I'm sure we're researching something educational to read about for the most part. Glad somebody caught that. <laughs> um, but entertainment, I know my wife and I sit and watch TV at night, and I don't even know what's going on. I look up, and we're both on our phones looking at something else. So we've got the TV on. We've got our phones in our hand. We're yelling at our kids all at the same time, multitasking. <laughs> but if entertainment keeps you from having time to learn about your God, it's an idol. And the last one I want to talk about is comfort. We certainly live in a world where we have our comforts. Not everything's easy, but most things are pretty easy. We've got an app on our phone to control our thermostat at our house, push button to unlock our doors, or an app on our phone to unlock our doors, to find our keys, to pay our bills, to order food. Isn't being taken out of our comfort zone the real reason that we don't share the gospel with others? Lord, I love you. But I don't love them enough to tell them about you. It hurts to put it that way. Because I'm more concerned about my comfort than I am their salvation. You know, we have a guy that's been around this church for, uh, for a little while now that's a missionary, and he's kind of poured into some of our lives. And if you want to stay in your comfort zone, I, I don't recommend becoming friends with him. Um, but he, is, he has pointed out what our purpose for following, a Christ, for following Christ is. And if we're not sharing the gospel, if we're too worried about our own comfort, then being faithful to what God's asked us to do, then it's an idol. I pray that you'll consider where you feel you are, what is in between you and God, and what changes you need to make. Now, we'll go to verse 12. Paul says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. Paul's saying, I was once where you are, but I have been set free by the grace of God. I am no longer enslaved to sin. I no longer worship idols. I no longer worship false gods. I am no longer afraid of God who by works I thought I had to please. 
but I have embraced God as my Father and His love for me. He's begging the Galatians to understand it's not about works, it's about love. It's not about debt, it's about freedom through Christ. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Are y'all getting the point? How many different ways does Paul have to say it's not about works, it's about love? Galatians 5, 4. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You who have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So not only is works not how God designed this plan, but relying on works for your salvation actually separates you from God. I know in our own minds, rationale would be, well, my relationship with Christ isn't quite what I want it to be, but I see other Christians doing this, so I'm going to do this too. But if you're relying on your works to gain your salvation, you're separating yourself from Christ. The last verse I read said, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Our love for others is a measure of our faith. Did you experience a change when you accepted Christ into your life? I did. It wasn't drastic. It was something that required work. <coughs> Excuse me. And I know you're saying, Clint, I've heard my whole life, faith without works or works without faith is dead. And you're right. I'm not saying don't go to work. I'm saying know your heart. And make sure it's in the correct place. God didn't send his son to die on the cross because he needed to increase his workforce. He sent his son to die on the cross because he wants a relationship with his children. Because he loves us. Our hearts have to be in the right place. Galatians 2.20 shows us a little bit about the correct response to God's love. I wasn't familiar with this verse before this week, but after reading it, uh, it's quickly becoming a favorite. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So the correct response as a believer in Christ, as someone who has made a commitment to following Christ, is to die to self so that Christ might live in us. We don't have the ability to love the way Christ loves others without Christ's love in us. We're not capable of that. And you may have had an experience where you've accepted Christ into your life, where you believe in Christ, but you haven't seen a change in your life. You may need to get out of the way. I don't think there's room for us and Christ in one body. So if you want the goodness of Christ to come out of you, then you better kill off something of yourself. There's not room for both. If you're trying to serve you, if you're trying to do what you want and telling others that you're putting Christ first, it's going to be seen. And if it's not seen, it's going to be known because your works are empty and made out of the wrong heart. So how do we grow closer to God? Well, it just so happens to be in this week's reading as well. We skip over to James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. And James uh, gives us five ways of how to grow closer to God. It says to submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Now, there's nothing I can stand up here and say that will motivate you to do the things that James is asking you to do to grow your relationship with God. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. The only way you're going to accomplish these things is if you go home and write these five things down and go to war. But we're going to hit them quick. The first one says, submit yourselves to God. When it's no longer about you and it's all about Him, God's going to begin to work in your life because you're getting out of the way. The second one is to resist the devil, to resist temptation. If you know you're going into a situation that is going to be a temptation for you in your life, then you need to find a way out of it. If you can't find a way out of it, then you better pray up before you go into it because you know you're going to have a battle on your hands. The third one is to replace the desire to sin with the desire for God's purity. And I think this one's huge. If we are able to somehow conquer our sin, to no longer desire sin, but to desire the purity of Christ, how could, how could that not come out to be a wonderful thing? If our go-to thoughts are the purity of Christ, and not the self-pleasing, satisfying sin that our usual thoughts are going to go to first. We're going to have a real relationship with the Father. The next one is sincere sorrow when we do sin. And I want to read this verse again and how it describes it because um, it's not exactly the same way I've been treating it. It says to grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Is this y'all's response to sin today? It's not mine. I'll repent. I'll say I'm sorry. There's some sins that 
that uh, hit me harder than others, and then there's some that I know I'm not done with. I know I'm going to face this sin again sometime in my life, and my level of sorrow may not be as great as what it should be. But can you imagine sinning and having this response to mourn and wail, change your joy to sorrow? You have nothing to live for after you have done this sin. You have got to hate it and despise it so much that it wrecks your at least day. But how quick do we get over sin in our life? Don't take for granted God's willingness to forgive if we can't take serious our commitment to change. The band's about to come and they're going to play a song called Waymaker. I don't know where everyone is in their relationship with Christ, but if you haven't heard me say today it's not about works, you just got a really good nap. (laughs) Paul brought it home over and over and over again. It's about the love of our Father and the relationship that He has that He desires for His children. Songs called Waymaker. There was no way for us to earn our salvation through works, so God made a way through sending His Son to die on the cross to pay a debt we can never repay. What is your response going to be? Have you already got it figured out? You're rolling along pretty good? Or is there some change that needs to take place? And how we love our Father. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I pray that it was delivered accurately. And I pray that you moved in people's lives to instill the desire for change or the desire to know you for the first time. The Holy Spirit is alive in us. The Holy Spirit is a resource that you have intended us to use to navigate our lives, to learn more about you, to grow in our faith, to learn how to love and care for others, to let your light be seen to the world. Lord, I pray that we would get out of your way that we would die to self so that you could live and be seen through us. In your name we pray. Amen.